the, the whole uh, COVID-19 coronavirus response has been, well, it's been something that's, it, it's turned a lot of elements of life upside down. We, we, we've experienced that, right? There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of change that has come about because of that. And I thought about that this morning as we would think about one of the marks of radical Christianity is, is to be a people whose, whose treasure reflects our Christianity. And what we do with our treasure, and Brian's words this morning, I mean, couldn't have been more on point uh, 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 about those things. I was um, looking at a survey that the Jenkins Institute did amongst Churches of Christ, and it said that 50% of congregations of Churches of Christ, let me get the, use their terminology, either uh, experience growth or no decline in their contribution, which is great uh, over, over the last uh, over the last five months as we've had this coronavirus. But you know, when you look at that number, it depends on if you're a glass half full or glass half empty, it's saying that 50% of congregations have experienced a decrease in their, in their average weekly contributions. Now, now this becomes a big issue for, for two, two reasons. Maybe you could think of more, but, but I know it becomes an issue for two reasons that we want to think about as marks of our Christianity. Number one, because even in the midst of, of, a, of a pandemic, the Lord's work continues. The Lord's work doesn't stop. I know there are parts of our lives that have, that have we've hit the brakes and it's been a full stop, but I'm going to tell you the Lord's work doesn't stop. And part of, part of the Lord's work is the funding of, of the Lord's work. You know, over in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 19, uh, Solomon says, uh, money is the answer to everything. Did you know it's in your Bible? That's in your Bible, Ecclesiastes, right? You, you read it, it's, it's right there, Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 19. Now, of course he's not saying that money is the ultimate answer to everything. But he is saying, he is saying that whatever you're going to talk about doing in life, there's a financial component that you're going to have to talk about. So sometimes people say, well, I get so tired of talking about money. I do too. I really do. But we have to talk about it. We have to talk about it on the grand scale, and we have to talk about it in regards to, to the smallest of things. Right? I mean, if, if, if you want to, you know, you, you want to talk about, you, you want to talk about having a, I don't know, having a meal, you're going to have to talk about money. Or how are we going how, how to pay for that food? How are we going to pay for those plates? How are we going to pay for those forks? Who bought the cheap plates? So on and so forth. We have to have that conversation, don't we? And, and we, now and there are those small things in life where we just, they just kind of take care of themselves, but that's because somewhere way back somebody had the conversation. So, so this is an issue for the church, and especially as we come into this, so, so what is this going to be like? You think about Forest Park in particular as, as one of the sponsors of, of, one of one of the largest mission efforts in, in the nation or in the world. Latin American missions, right? I mean, there are still children who need to be fed. There are still preachers who need to be trained. There are still preachers who, who need to be sent out. There are still commitments that need to be honored. You want to talk about, an, an, about, about a body that's dependent upon free will offerings? That's, that's what we do here, right? That's what God's people do. This is just dependent on the goodness of people and, and the goodness of their hearts. So what are we going to do when all of a sudden 
all these churches that are supportive of, of, of this great work, they aren't coming together. And are they going to continue their contributions? And are they going to continue their donations to the work? It's a, it's a real issue. All the way from Latin America down to the, down to the smallest of congregations that, that may, may even say, how are we going to pay the light bill during this time? These are things that we have to think about and we have to, to give consideration to. Because I'm just going to tell us, if a church is actively pursuing the Great Commission, if a church is going forward with the work of the Lord, they're going to have to, cons- they're going to, have to spend some time considering money. That's just the reality of the world that we live in. You want to send more missionaries? How many of us want to send more missionaries into the world? Everybody raise your hand. You're going to have to come up with some money to do it. How many of us want to feed more children? Everybody raise You're going to have to come up with some more money to do it. How many of us want to pay the electric bill? You don't raise your hand, we're turning the air off. You're going to have to come up with some money to do it. That's what Solomon's trying to say, right? When he says money is the answer to everything. So, so this is one of those things where we have to look at this as a church and say, this is the world that we live in. But it's a big deal, even if all that wasn't the case, it's a big deal because what we do with our treasure is an indicator of our spiritual walk. Jesus said there in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. This understanding that you may give, you may give large sums of money without your heart being in it, that's true. You, you possibly could do that. But I'm going to tell you, if your heart doesn't belong to God, then that offering will be meaningless. But when your heart really belongs to God, we will come forth with offerings of sacrifice before Him. One of the great concerns is we've talked about the danger of, the danger of spiritual damage in our lives through all this, this COVID-19 time within our congregation and really within the brotherhood as a whole is this danger that people are going to step back in their faith. This idea that we're going to continue to prosper, which by the way, I know that there are some of you who have not prospered during this time. I, 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 I get that. I know that there are some of you who have gone through really hard times and you know, the loss of jobs and the, and the, and the cutbacks, I, all of that. I also know that there's a whole lot of us who have made money during this time. Right? I have. I haven't missed a check, except I got one big extra one from the government. And what, whatever you think about that, I still got it. You got it too. I've made money. So the danger is that we'll continue to prosper, but that we will fail to honor God with that prosperity simply because of, well, it's, a, it's just an unprecedented time. That's dangerous. Can I tell you, as, as we have considered these things, one of the most encouraging things, especially early on in this whole process, I loved watching you and the links that you have gone to to make your offerings. I mean, whether it's, whether it's writing checks and putting it in the mail, it's going up and putting them in the box, it's making a special trip to the church building, it's, it's figuring out this online giving. It's, I mean, what, how, how do we do this? It, it wasn't easy, right? As it has been for all of our life where we take a plate and we put it in, somebody, in front of somebody's face and say, you know, you don't, get, you don't want the plate, plate to go past empty. 
Some, sometimes I'd, I came to a fifth Sunday and I'd already given for the month and I was like, just keep on passing the plate. I just always felt weird about that, right? People are going to think I'm not giving, right? Now it's nobody knows. And yet throughout all that time, our, 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 our contribution, in spite of the fact that I know that some of you have struggled during this time, really hasn't changed a bit. We have continued to go forward and to press forward. That's awesome. But what that is, is an indication It's an indication of a people who understand that what we're doing is not not just putting a check into a plate, but that we are literally making an offering before God who is worthy even of our treasures. And there is a world of difference in those two things. I've got lots of bills that I pay because if I don't pay the bill, then they'll stop with the service. That is not what we give to God. We make an offering of the things that He has blessed us with because He is worthy. All these thoughts in in my mind as we think about what what does it mean to to give in the midst of a pandemic, and it made me think about 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now you know that 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 are one of these sections of Scripture where Paul is going to write to the church at Corinth uh, about this collection that he's been taking up. Right? He's taking up money for these poor brethren who are in Judea. And, and, and he's, trying to, well, he's trying to encourage the Corinthians to actually come through on their, on their commitment. Uh, you know, he said, you, you were one of the very first people to say, oh yeah, 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 we want to be in on this. Well, now I want to encourage you to actually come through on what it was that you said you wanted to be a part of. And one of the ways that he tries to encourage them is he says, well, let me tell you, let me tell you about the Macedonians and what they have done. One of the the greatest tools that God has given us to provoke and to encourage one another is one another. He's not talking about competition for the sake of competition's sake, right? He's not talking about you want to be better than the Corinthians or you want to be better than the Macedonians. He's talking about using the efforts of other people to drive us to deeper spiritual heights. I hope that we've all experienced that. I hope that we're all being a part of that in our lives. But as you write to the Corinthians, he says, I want to tell you about the Macedonians. And if we had time, you would find that he says, oh, by the way, when I was trying to motivate the Macedonians, you know who I told them about? The Corinthians, right? It's this reciprocal relationship where we ought to be pushing each other forward. So, brethren... He says in verse 1, Brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Now, I love the language here, and you're going to have to understand the context. You remember, he's talking about an offering. He's talking about a collection. You see how, how he describes it? He says that this collection is the grace of God. Now, we tend to think about grace in regards to salvation, but grace is this word that has to do with anything that is a gift from God. Anything that God gives to you that you don't deserve, that's grace. So it can be, it can be applied to a whole lot of different areas of the Christian walk. I want to talk to you about the gift, about the grace that God gave to the church at Macedonia. So, so we, you, you might think about giving gifts and honoring people. And, you know, I want to give a gift to the, to the Forest Park Church. Or, you know, I want, I want to give a gift to, to this congregation or that congregation. And you try to think, of, well, what is the perfect gift? 
Here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to let you give some money. See, that, that, we've got to rewire that from our heads because we think, gee, thanks, right? Thomas, I've got a gift for you after services. and just, you, you just wait, right? You're not thinking I'm going to ask you for money. But that's what he's talking about. Not, because he's not just talking about asking for money. He's talking about the privilege or the opportunity to be involved in something that's really special, that's really noteworthy. I want to talk about this grace of God that's given to the churches in Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. And I thought about this text in regards to our current situation and the idea of giving in a pandemic, specifically because when he describes the Macedonians, he, he describes them in, in two ways. He says, he says that, that at this very moment, they're going through something that, that in there is a great ordeal of affliction. Now, I don't have a clue what he's talking about there. Matter of fact, I, I, I looked at about 10 different commentaries trying to figure out, so what exactly was going on with the Macedonians? And I couldn't find anybody that said, we know what's going on, which is rare. I mean, usually somebody will at least, you know, well, I'll give you my opinion about this, even if they make it up. You can really find that in the commentary. Nobody really says anything. But, but, but maybe, maybe that's helpful for us. Because whatever's going on in their life, it has to be something that, that would qualify for, for us putting that title beside it. Right? It says, and we don't typically speak in language like this, but, but if... If we were to say, you know what, right now, right now, my family is going through a great ordeal of affliction. Like what, what qualifies for a statement like that? I mean, there are probably a lot of different things, right? I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, the fact that, I don't know, my, my, I think I bent my fingernail back on my pinky yesterday when I was doing some work, and it, that didn't qualify, does it? I mean, you would say that's kind of foolish. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Whatever it is, it's something big. It's something that was causing a great deal of strife in their life. It's something that was upending their life. Can, can I say, whatever you think about the coronavirus, that we have been in the last five months in a great ordeal of affliction? Like, it's just turned everything upside down. And not only were they in the midst of this great ordeal of affliction, they were also in deep, poverty. These people were poor. They weren't, they weren't living with great wealth. It's highly likely that the church at Corinth was a very wealthy congregation in a very urban and commercial city. Highly likely, but not, not so for everyone in Macedonia. These were people who were struggling in deep poverty. Do we understand that our offering, our offering is not, is not changed by our circumstances in life? That they, in spite of their affliction and in spite of their poverty, could still have joy. They could still have joy in liberal giving. The abundance of joy overflowed. And this is that awesome thing where we begin to understand because it's not about the amount. Never has been. Never has been. It's about the heart. The, the, the idea of giving a percentage, that's not a New Testament idea. Is it? 
I mean, we, we look over at, in 1 Corinthians 16 that they're to give as they've been prospered. And sometimes we, we look as if that's the first time we ever read about that in the Bible. And I'm going to say, let's go back and read our Bibles. Be, because, because over and over when the law is giving, the, the, there are all these, for, for those who have these great things, you give this. For those who, who have less, you give this. Even our Lord and our Savior, right? I, I love this concept, and we, we sing about it. We sing about it, you know, in, in December about how his family came, and they, you remember what they brought? Two turtle doves. Now, why did they bring two turtle doves? Because they were poor. Because they were poor. Because God, God wasn't asking for, for, for people who could barely come up with two turtle doves just to, to, to bring an oxen that they didn't have. It, that, that's, that's, not, that's not new. Now, in, the, in regards to this percentage, I want us to understand, we've said this before, we'll say it again, that that, that starts with giving of a tenth. If we want to do Bible things in Bible ways, and, and I know we do, right? That's the claim that we make. It starts with looking at what God has blessed us with and saying, I'm going to honor you with at least a tenth of that. I'm saying that because that's the very least that I can find biblical approval for. I can make an argument that God is pleased when we honor him with, with a tenth of our spoils. All the way back, all the way back to, to, to the time of Abram coming back from war. You remember? And he comes, and there is Melchizedek, that, that king, that priest of the city of Salem, and he honors him with a tenth. Now, now where, did, where did he get that idea? Did he get it from the law of Moses? No, the law of Moses hadn't even been given yet. The idea of giving a tenth is not an old law versus new law principle. It's a biblical principle. Okay? I, I, I can make that argument. Somewhere between a tenth, I could go all the way up to 100% if you wanted with the widow who gave her two mites but I don't really want to go there. So somewhere between that tenth and that hundredth, and if you want to go below a tenth, seriously, and we, Brian said you have to think about this, so we're going to have to think about this. If you want to go below a tenth in your offering before God, then you're going to have to embrace a thought process that says, I will decide what is, what is acceptable to God, and He'll be good with it. We, we wouldn't accept that in regards to any other area of our worship. We wouldn't accept that in regards to how we partake of the Lord's Supper, or how we pray, or how we sing. It's just inconsistent to say, now I'm going to do it with our giving, because this comes close to home. So, so these people, even though they were very poor, even though they were very poor, their joy, their joy overflowed at the, at the fact that they could be a part of this gift for I testify, he says, that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. This is just a cool passage about understanding what's at the heart of a radical disciple. And what does it mean to truly reflect him with our possessions? They begged for the favor, for the privilege to be a part. They were looking for reasons that they could give and not for reasons that they need to get out of giving. I love that. See, that's what I've seen in so many of you as you've gone out of your way and you've been over backwards to make sure that you weren't just, you know, not missing a check, but that you were actually making an offering. These were the people... These were the people that whenever they were trying to raise support for the brethren at Judea, that everybody else looked at and said, you know, I mean, they're going through a hard time. 
And, and really, I mean, they, they, don't, they don't have any. Let's just, let's just not bother them. We, we, we've all thought that about different folks at different times, right? People, I mean, the truth is people have probably thought it about you at times, right? Uh, when Shelly and I first got married, we couldn't figure out why in the world. Every time our parents came, they would buy groceries and bring them to our house. What, what, what's the deal with that, right? Now I know they were concerned we were dead. I didn't know it, but they were concerned about it. That's kind of what's going on in Macedonia here. And, the, and these people heard about it and said, no, 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 no. Let us be a part. Let us be a part of this. I mean, I want to be a part of what's going on here. And so they gave not just to their ability, they gave beyond their ability. Scriptural giving is sacrificial giving. I, I, love, I, love, what, I love what David says there in 2 Samuel 24, 24. I will not make an offering to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. Man, if I didn't evaluate my, my giving by any, any principle but that, it would revolutionize the idea of giving. It's going to cost me something. It's supposed to hurt a little bit. That's why it's an offering. That's why, that's why if one of these wealthy guys comes up and he gives two turtle doves, it's like, uh, well, yeah, you found, that, you found those between the couch cushions. I don't suppose you found birds in your... It was one of my garage yesterday. So we got thinking. But, but, but this idea of... The more I have, the harder it becomes to sacrifice. We've talked about that. But that was their mindset. They begged for the privilege, for the favor of participation. There had to be those, those conversations in those Macedonian homes, right? How can we be a part of helping our brethren in Judea? You know, what, what, what do we have to do to sacrifice? You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe we can get another year out of that old chariot before we go and get another one, Right? Uh, maybe, you know, maybe we don't have to see all seven wonders of the world this year on vacation. Uh, maybe we can go to the Macedonian Steakhouse, you know, just a, uh, uh, just a few less times. I mean, I don't know, but that's a conversation, right? Where I, I had to say, well, what, what can I give up in order to make this happen? But I want us to see it wasn't a burden. It was a gift from God to be a part in helping those poor brethren in Judea and in doing so, they were, they were given the privilege of being God's hands. You, you, we talk in our Bible class about purpose and about doing something that matters and about living a life that counts, right? We're all interested in that. But what they understood is that in, in participating in this, I may never go to Judea, I may never go to Jerusalem, but in, do, in participating in this, I'm being God's hands and God's feet in this world to send this missionary into Latin America, to send this missionary into Africa, to provide a home for those widows who have no home, to provide food for those children who have no food. To, to, to help prepare a man to preach the gospel of Christ, to help that young family make it through another week. You see, it's not about money. It's, it's not. It's about this privilege of saying, I'm going to be a part of the Lord's work. I'm going to honor Him through those things. And this is what they got. This is what they understood that enabled them. You may be saying, well, I just don't know. I mean, yeah, sounds good. And I, Listen, what, what they understood that manifests itself even in what they did with their checkbook was that they knew this isn't about money, that this is about God. 
not only as we had hoped they gave, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. See, this is not really about money. This is about God. Our offering really isn't, it really isn't about a dollar sign. It's about the worship of a worthy God. This isn't about our situation of life and whether there is a pandemic or whether there is not. The the discussion is really about, do we believe that God is worthy? This is not about money. This is about every element of our life and seeing that larger picture, that in those stressful moments, in this great affliction that they were going through, that you find yourself going through, in those stressful moments when it's going to shine through what we really believe, when it might be just as easy just to set it aside for a while. It's in those stressful moments where what we really believe will come through. How do you speak to your spouse? How do you prioritize in your life? How do you respond to that bad boss? How do you, how do you treat your brethren? What do you do with your money? Not just when it's easy. This is that First Peter stuff we talked about in Bible class. Not just when it's easy, but when there is great affliction upon you. Do you have a God that's bigger than that moment? Do you have a God that's bigger than that relationship? Do you have a God who's bigger than a worldwide pandemic? Well, what we do will say something about what we really believe about the answer to that. And so, and so my plea as your brother is that we humble ourselves in every way that we possibly can. That we humble ourselves and that we seek forth this mission to proclaim I believe that God is. I believe that God is here. And I believe that God is living. And I believe that God is powerful. And I believe that God is worthy. And there's nothing that happens in my life. I want to say that again so that you take that to as extreme of a point as you would like. And there's nothing that happens in my life that changes my conviction in those things and my determination to proclaim those things. For some of you this morning, you need to come to Christ. You need to come and to submit yourself to His will. You need to repent. You need to be baptized and have your sins washed away. Some of you need to return. It may mean that we need to repent. We talked about this last week. It may, mean, it may mean that we need to repent of taking our treasures and honoring ourselves before we honor God. I know that happens because I've done it. We should be ashamed. We are not worthy, but He is. It may mean in the midst of great affliction, we simply need to bring our burdens to Him. Friends, if you have a need this morning, just as those Macedonians and those Corinthians had a need, you come to the cross of Jesus Christ, and it is there and there alone that you will find hope, but hope you will find that is everlasting. You come this morning as we stand and as we sing.